Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book Astrophysics for people in a hurry. The cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. Come with me, a generation ago, the astronomer Carl Sagan stood here and launched hundreds of millions of us on a great adventure, the exploration of the universe revealed by science, it's time to get going again. This is the opening of the popular science documentary Cosmos, a space-time odyssey. It is an updated follow-up to the epic 1980 television series Cosmos, a personal voyage, presented by Carl Sagan. Both of these documentaries reveal the majesty of the universe through a deeply scientific but still relatable narrative, taking viewers on a journey through the largest and smallest aspects of our universe. Every one of us has looked up at the night sky and wondered about the nature of stars. At some point, we've all pondered the origin of the universe, thought about the insignificance of humanity, and tried to contemplate what might be going on in the cosmos. It's human to wonder about the world we inhabit, though few of us go on to study these questions professionally. Life sidetracks us and before you know it, we become more concerned over car payments and grocery bills than the inner workings of the universe. But that curiosity is still there, inside ever jaded adult is a child still questioning those twinkling lights in the sky. This book provides a direct connection to that inner child by giving us a concise but meaningful way to understand the universe. If you're ready to set off on a journey to the stars, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry is waiting for you. The book was written by astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, the host of the science documentary Cosmos, a space-time odyssey. It was not only the winner of Amazon's 2017 Book of the Year in Science but also number one on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list. In the same year, it topped the reader's poll on Goodreads. This book with take us on a winding path through the universe. Tyson will use simple terms to answer the most profound and deeply rooted questions in your mind. As Tyson says in the opening of the documentary, we are about to begin a journey that will take us from the infinitesimal to the infinite, from the dawn of time to the distant future. We'll explore galaxies and suns and worlds, surf the gravity waves of space-time, encounter beings that live in fire and ice, explore the planets of stars that never die, discover atoms as massive as suns and universes smaller than atoms. Cosmos is also a story about us. It's the saga of how wandering bands of hunters and gatherers found their way to the stars, one adventure with many heroes. To make this journey, we'll need imagination. But imagination alone is not enough, because the reality of nature is far more wondrous than anything we can imagine. This adventure is made possible by generations of searchers strictly adhering to a simple set of rules, test ideas by experiment and observation, build on those ideas that pass the test, reject the ones that fail, follow the evidence wherever it leads and question everything. Accept these terms, and the cosmos is yours. Now come with me. Our journey will be divided into three parts. Part 1, The Birth of the Universe. Part 2, The Miracle of the Starry Sky. 
and Part 3, Our Wonderful World. Part 1, The Birth of the Universe. The birth of the universe is arguably the greatest story of all time. Nearly 14 billion years ago, all the space, matter, and energy in the known universe were still contained at an infinitesimal point called a singularity. But what does that mean? Well, a singularity has infinite curvature in spacetime, an infinitely small volume, an infinite density, and infinite gravity. All these infinites are difficult for the human brain to imagine, so simply put, a singularity is even smaller than one trillionth of the size of the period at the end of this sentence. Don't worry too much about imagining the singularity, even scientists haven't come up with a good description of it yet. We do not know how the singularity came into existence, nor do we know what it really was. None of the current laws of physics are applicable when describing the singularity. Today we use Einstein's general relativity to describe the very big, planets, solar systems, galaxies, while we use quantum mechanics to describe the very small, atoms, particles, and waves. However, the singularity crunches all of these rules down into one point, and demands that we use a unified theory that can handle the large and the small. We may not know everything about the singularity but we do know that at some point, it suddenly started to expand extremely rapidly. Well, strictly speaking, at some point is just a hand-wavy description since time didn't even exist as we know it before this expansion. Now we call this process the Big Bang. We have touched upon the Big Bang in other bookies that unlock Stephen Hawking's masterpieces, including A Brief History of Time, From the Big Bang to Black Holes, The Universe in a Nutshell, and Brief Answers to the Big Questions. Let's unpack the infancy of our universe. The first stage is called the Planck Era, which refers to the time interval from the Big Bang 0 seconds to the 10 to the power of minus 43 seconds right after. At the end of this interval, the universe had only grown to 10 to the power of minus 35 meters in size. These unimaginably small scales are named the Planck time and Planck length respectively, named after Max Planck, the father of quantum mechanics. This is the stage where the large is small, and where relativity and quantum mechanics break down. All four of fundamental forces of the universe were unified. The end of the Planck era, is marked by the separation of gravity from the other fundamental forces. The universe continued to expand, and the electroweak and strong nuclear forces came into being. Finally the electroweak split into the electromagnetic and weak nuclear forces, forming the four basic forces that we know today. You may ask what good are these forces, and why should I care about them? In fact, these four fundamental forces are the pillars of our universe. The weak force determines radioactive decay, the strong force binds particles together in atomic nuclei, the electromagnetic force holds molecules together, and gravity interacts with bulk matter. Everything we touch and see in our daily life is governed by these four forces, from the smallest microscopic particles to the stars in the sky. A trillionth of a second after the Big Bang, the universe became a quark cauldron. In this mixing pot were different kinds of subatomic particles like quarks, leptons, and bosons, plus their antimatter counterparts were all mixed up. 
They constantly interacted and gave off energy in the form of photons, the massless vessels of light energy that are as much waves as they are particles. The universe was hot enough for these photons to spontaneously convert their energy into matter-antimatter particle pairs, which immediately thereafter annihilate, returning their energy back to photons. That's how matter and antimatter were constantly created and annihilated, then recreated, and then annihilated again. If this was all there was to the process, why isn't our universe just a few intangible photons? How did the stars in the sky and our own planet come to be? Great questions. The answer is that we got very very lucky. When one of the forces split, the universe emerged with a truly remarkable asymmetry or inequality. Particles of matter slightly outnumbered particles of antimatter by a ratio of 1 billion and 1 to 1 billion. It was this tiny difference in particle population that allowed the extra one to survive a millionth of a second after the Big Bang. These survivors became the sources of matter for the creation of galaxies, stars, planets, and even the device that you are using to listen to this bookie right now. Now, the universe at one second of age had already grown to a few light years in size. The quark annihilation game was over, but electrons were still having fun. As the universe continued to expand and cool down, electrons continued to annihilate, until there wasn't enough energy left to continue. By the end only a billionth of the electrons would survive, while the rest would annihilate with their antimatter counterparts into a sea of photons. All of this happened only a second after the Big Bang. In the next two minutes, protons and neutrons will come together, forming atomic nuclei for the basic elements of the universe. Scientists now named this process Big Bang Nucleosynthesis. 90% of the resulting particle soup will be hydrogen, 10% will be helium, with trace amounts of isotopes of hydrogen and lithium. At this moment, we would not see a vast universe. If we could see the nascent universe, it would appear as an opaque fog. So, what could we do? The answer was let there be light. For hundreds of thousands of years after a brief bing-bang nucleosynthesis, not much happened to our particle soup. During this period, the universe continued to expand, cool, and dim, diluting the concentration of energy. Of course, while the temperature was dropping continuously, it was still high enough to allow high-energy electrons to travel amongst the photons, hitting them and causing both to bounce around. If they were conscious, they would definitely feel irritated by this kind of harassment. Neither the electrons or photons could escape this process, they were locked in a seemingly endless particle boxing match. Because the photons were being hit back and forth by electrons, they could only travel a very short distance. Thus, to an observer, the entire universe would appear as a thick opaque fog in our eyes. When will these days end, the photons said angrily and helplessly. Physicists have given us an answer. This harassment lasted for 380,000 years. During this period, the universe continued to cool, and after the temperature of the universe dropped below 3000 degrees Kelvin, the electrons slowed down to a point where they could be captured by passing protons. The electrons and the protons formed complete atoms that are electrically neutral. 
the photons were finally set free to travel through the universe at 300,000 km per second. Photons are light, so, almost like a shadow puppet show, these photons carried with them the imprint of where all the matter was in the moment of cooling. This cosmic background is the incarnation of the leftover light from dazzling sizzling early universe. But as the universe continued to expand and cool, photons with wavelengths in the visible light range gradually lost energy and became infrared photons. Though we can't see this ancient burst of light with our eyes, we can use specialized machines to measure the resulting radiation today. The ancient photons have lost so much energy that they are now in the microwave spectrum. As such we call the imprint they leave the cosmic microwave background radiation. The existence of this radiation, this snapshot into the past is the most convincing evidence for the Big Bang Theory. 14 billion years later, now, our universe is still expanding, even more rapidly. Wait a minute, that is a little weird. The universe certainly seems stable now. How come it is still expanding and why? We can begin to take the first steps towards answering these questions, starting with gravity. Sir Isaac Newton first described this attraction between any two objects. However, it isn't as simple as one object pulling on another. More precisely, concentrations of mass cause warps in the fabric of spacetime. These warps cause the objects to move along the shortest path towards each other. Simply, objects move toward where spacetime curves. This raises another question. We just mentioned that there was a tremendous amount of matter and energy right after the birth of the universe, so why didn't this matter warp spacetime, attract everything together, and collapse back into a singularity? To answer this, we turn to one of the greatest physicists of all time, Albert Einstein. During his lifetime, the prevailing theory was that the universe was constant in size that it neither expanded nor contracted. In order to create a mathematical model of this static, stable model of the universe, Einstein introduced a cosmological constant, the capital Greek letter lambda. The only purpose of lambda was to resist gravity and keep the universe in balance. However, while this model seemed stable, physicists have found that it is anything but. Lambda, does balance the model but it also leaves it extremely unstable. Einstein's universe was in a perilously metastable state between expansion and total collapse, just like a ball on a mountaintop that could roll down in either direction with just a tiny push. Furthermore, as we've said, Physicists soon discovered that the universe was not static but was expanding. On top of this, they found that the more distant galaxies were, the faster they receded relative to our Milky Way. This proved to be problematic for Einstein. Since he could find no force of nature that corresponded to the cosmological constant lambda, and it seemed that his hypothesis of a stable universe was wrong, Einstein abandoned lambda. However, Science continued to progress, and new models to describe the expansion rate of the universe were developed. Results from these models showed rates faster than expected, and physicists had no easy way to explain the extra expansion without reintroducing lambda. This cosmological constant has come back to life, and it now has a much more exciting name, dark energy. To date, 
we still don't know how dark energy comes into existence or really what it is at all. However, scientific experiments have shown that it makes up most of the universe, accounting for 68% of all mass energy. In comparison, all the ordinary matter we interact with on a daily basis comprises only 5%. The strangest thing about dark energy, is that it isn't found near planets or galaxies. Instead it arises from the space between matter, in the vacuum itself. As the vacuum of space grows the density of matter and familiar energy in it decreases. This decrease in density causes dark energy to have an even greater effect. With this greater effect comes even more vacuum and the cycle repeats, causing an exponential acceleration of universal expansion. What this means for us is that anything not gravitationally bound by the Milky Way will recede away from our galaxy at an ever-increasing rate. Distant galaxies that we can now see in the night sky will eventually move away from us faster than the speed of light, disappearing in space that becomes no longer observable. This doesn't break any physical rules since the objects aren't actually moving, instead the vacuum between them is growing. In another trillion years, if there is life in the Milky Way, they may not even know there are other galaxies out there. Their observable universe might only consist of a system of nearby long-lived stars. On that day, the history of the universe will be closed to any remaining observers. All they will see in the night sky except for some unknown number of remaining stars will be a cold and endless void. On that happy note, we conclude part 1. We talked about the birth of the universe after a Big Bang that took place 14 billion years ago. And how 380,000 years later neutral atoms were formed, and photons broke free, eventually creating the universe that we know today. We also investigated dark energy, which prevents the universe from collapsing in on itself but causes the exponential acceleration of the expansion of the universe. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.